Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and thanks for joining us. We're going to talk uh, today a lot about the World Cup. You know, it's the world's biggest sporting event. It doesn't even, I mean, everything else pales in comparison. We talk a lot about the Super Bowl, and we're focused on that here in the United States. But I got to tell you, globally, when the World Cup's happening, whoa, everything shuts down. Everything shuts down. So I'm really excited to talk a little bit about that. Of course, uh, I'm going to highlight the stupid because there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. I'm going to talk about a few things in the news. Um, and then we're going to chat with uh, Jenny Taft a little bit about this. You are going to see her. If you watch the World Cup, you're engaged in watching that on Fox. I'm telling you, you're going to see a lot of Jenny, uh, super talented, uh, one of the great rising stars at, at Fox. But you're, you're going to see her on uh, Fox Sports a whole lot. But uh, hang in there with us. Let me give you a few bits and tidbits about the news. The election, obviously. Still counting votes. Isn't it amazing that we're this far along and they still haven't closed out the races? I, you know, at the time that we're recording this um, in California, the uh, Valadeo race, as I like to call it, Congressman Valadeo, they'd only counted like 54 percent of the votes. I, I don't know how you can be this far along uh, and only be 54% of the way through the counting, but that's where they're at. Um, anyway, uh, a few bits about the news. Um, one is, I think perhaps one of the more beloved people in this country is Jay Leno. And, you know, suddenly we got this news that he was somehow working on his car and some sort of um, accident happened was uh, rushed to the hospital. All I can say about this story is, you know what? Jay Leno, I think, is an exceptionally good person. Now, I've had the the opportunity to meet him a couple of times. Super nice person uh, in, in any setting. I love him on television, but I can tell you, He's is equally of a nice and just sweet gentleman in person. And you know what? It was just my way of saying, you know, uh, I hope you keep him in your thoughts and prayers because for him to have this accent, it burns to the face. I hope it's as minimal as he kind of brushes it off as he, of course, being a comedian, he just kind of joked about it. But he did have to cancel some personal appearances. And I just hope he's okay because his story uh, with him and his wife and everything he's done reaching the peak of the summit of popularity. And then even after his time on the tonight show, he's still going out doing different events, corporate events, private events. Um, you know, he's got a, a events that he does in smaller venues and uh, he's just an American treasure and I just hope he's okay. Uh, something a little bit more serious. One thing that I think is going to be in the news, you know, we talk a lot about Republicans taking control of the House of Representatives. And yes, they can 
be a participant and uh, put a block of, on big parts of the president's agenda and spending and everything else. But one of the key components is going to be um, how the president um, and the executive branch, how are they going to react to investigations? Um, I can tell you as the former chairman of the House Oversight Committee, uh, the speed in which the Obama-Biden administration reacted to subpoenas was pathetic. It was little to none. I think Democrats then suddenly are in charge. Guess what? Every Department of Justice request was just filled automatically, quickly, swiftly. And it's really going to be interesting to see how that changes with the precedent that they set. One thing that maybe is not yet on your radar in terms of where are Republicans going to spend time doing investigation and outside groups as well, um, I think is going to be back uh, to examine what when the world was executive order 14019, 14019. Now, this was a directive to all federal departments, agencies and personnel to help get out the vote. Now, on the surface, yeah, okay, the federal government's saying, hey, help get out there. But then, then, when you actually go through and you read the details and you start to understand um, what was going on in this thing, I think it's something that the uh, Republican Party, quite frankly, was not paying enough attention to and probably should have gotten a lot more attention. So there is the Foundation for Government Accountability. I have no affiliation with them. They are suing uh, the federal government because they wanted the details behind this executive order. Now, this according to a report in The Federalist. Now they've gone to court because the Freedom of Information Act put forward by the Foundation for Government Accountability was not fulfilled. And the Department of Justice is arguing that arguing that they don't need to fulfill that FOIA request because, the, and I'm reading in quotes, the presidential communications privilege applies to the strategic plan because it was solicited and received by the president. That's the argument, is that they have executive privilege. Now, but here's a snippet from the president's executive order, which you can go look up online. Assist applicants in completing voter registration and vote by mail application forms in a manner consistent with all relevant state laws and soliciting and facilitating approved. Now, I, I want everybody should know what an approved nonpartisan third party organizations and state officials to provide voter registration services on agency premises. Now, remember, in 2016, we knew that 95% of the federal workers donated to Hillary Clinton. In fact, in, in several of the uh, departments and agencies, including the State Department, the Agriculture Department, Education and Labor, they 99% of donations went to, to Hillary Clinton. So if you don't think that, oh, hey, well, it's just, you know, they're doing a service for the public, this is servicing Democrats. I mean, these federal employees overwhelmingly uh, 99% in these departments and agencies, some of them, but on the average 95%, they are, they are Democrats. So, you know, all of this flies under the radar of what you might see in say from pollsters or people out there canvassing. If the federal government is using federal personnel, federal um, facilities, 
What did that look like? And why are they not willing to tell the public who were these approved nonpartisan third party organizations? I think you're going to see that Congress wants to know a lot more about that. And I think you're going to see outside organizations. I just want to put it on your radar because this one is highly suspicious to be able to leverage federal government offices and personnel, taxpayer dollars, your dollars to get out the vote uh, is just absolutely stunning to me. We haven't been on that road before. Uh, The one other thing is I just want to say congratulations to Harris Faulkner. Faith Still Moves Mountains. Faith Still Moves Mountains is her latest book. Her other book was fantastic. Huge success. Uh, This one is out as a uh, Fox News book. Um, And you looking for something for Christmas and inspiration and Hanukkah, whatever it might be. Faith still moves mountains. Um, I hope uh, what I'm going to try to do is get Harris back on the back uh, with us and do a little podcast uh, just about this book because knowing her commitment and her heart and passion, I'm just telling you, this is going to be a good book. And I, I want to talk some more about that. And then uh, on the other end of the spectrum, let's bring on the stupid because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. All right, let's go to Twitter. Do you call them twits? I guess if you work for Twitter, you must be a twit. Is that? I'm, I'm not trying to be. I'm trying to be cute, but not derogatory. But I think that's what you call them. Uh, I think it's uh, it, it just kind of unbelievable that the arrogance of these employees. Um, oh, I don't want to work for Elon Musk. Elon Musk and built a rocket better than NASA, so it could go up and then land back out on a pad in the middle of the ocean. And so they could use it again. I mean, he built an electric car where everybody else, Ford, everybody had been trying to build it. He was years ahead of them. So you would think that if he came in and and purchased a company like Twitter, you'd be jumping up and down. You'd be excited about it. Now, I know they did some layoffs. I know they did some changes. But as Elon Musk said, look, we're running a business here. We can't lose $4 million a day. That's their daily loss. I mean, this is one of the most mismanaged companies. So I know his plate is full, and he's com- he's talking about how do I do, you know, SpaceX and Twitter and you know, or, or and Twitter and and Tesla. I mean, his plate is very, very full, right? Well, one of the things they decided to do is they got to get rid of the free lunches because they were spending millions on buying people breakfast and lunch. And I don't know if it was just a joke or the truth, but they said they never did dinner for these employees because nobody ever stayed late and worked. He made it sound as if it was a pretty lazy, uh, laid-back atmosphere. And you can only blame so much on on uh, COVID. Uh, he said, you know, look, you got to go back to... You got to go back to work. So for bringing on the stupid, come on, twits, Twitter employees... You're going to have to work and work hard if you're going to have a prestigious job like that at Twitter and make good money. Uh, Also, Meta, owner of Facebook, Instagram, laying off 11,000 people. Amazon, laying off 10,000 people. There's a lot of people that are going to be out of jobs. But you know what? You can't just have this arrogance that everything's going to grow and be there in perpetuity. You actually have to produce and make things, good things happen. All right, that's, that's enough from this stupid... Now let's do uh, just a little bit of stories from the halls of Congress. I like to do this from time to time. What's happening 
right now is the freshman orientation. New members, even though there are still some undecided races, they're coming in, they're getting their badges, they're going to soon have a lottery, decide, they literally pick um, uh, ping pong balls with numbers on them out of a bin to see who gets what office, uh, when. Um, they're going through uh, uh, the orientation. They're going to be voting uh, on the rules package. They're going to be basically prepping up for what is going to be a massive day, and yet I, I think is going to be a yet-to-be-decided speaker's race. Now, there is news out about the individual vote. I understand that. But the reality is the way our framers set it up, they're on the floor of the House. Each member, the clerk, literally calls out the name and says, Congressman um, Mr. Amaday of Nevada. And then Mark Amaday is the congressman who just won re-election from Nevada. He's got to stand up and yell out who he's in favor of for speaker. That gets to be very tough because you have to get to 218. There are no exceptions. It's not just the majority of who are there. You have to get to 218. So it'll be fascinating to see uh, what what happens there and they go through that. I can tell you, having been through this process, ugh, it's an ugly one. I was surprised when you go into leadership votes. Guess what? The people that are running for those offices, they don't speak. They get a nomination. They get a second. That's a one-minute speech and then I think uh, two one-minute speeches. And then they vote. There's no speaking. There's no question and answer. Now, they have a quote-unquote candidate forum a day or two be beforehand at an inconvenient time, and only a fraction of the people actually show up. It's, it's a terrible process. But those in leadership kind of like it that way because they, don't, they want it to be highly predictable. Then they have a vote, and um, sometimes they release the number if it's advantageous for whoever wins. Sometimes they don't release the number. And over in the Senate, they do it totally different, very opaque. They get together, they have their lunch, they vote for leader. Now, there's been a lot of complaining and bellyaching by a number of members saying we shouldn't be voting before the Herschel Walker runoff, which I think is true. I, I'm in that camp. Um, you're having a person missing from that discussion. Why, there's only going to be, at the best, 50 Republican senators. You're just going to exclude one from the discussion and the vote? Uh, that doesn't make sense to me. And why the rush? But the other thing is, I know a number of these senators, I think Ron Johnson, Senator Mike Lee, uh, Josh Hawley, uh, Marco Rubio's to, to, uh, to, uh, uh, sent out a tweet about this stuff. It's one thing to complain about the timing of it. Uh, Rick Scott from Florida has also complained about this. It's another thing to actually stand up and try to run against him, uh, Mitch McConnell. And so that'll, that'll be interesting, too. Two totally pro different processes. The Senate, very opaque, can't really see it. In the House, the way our smart framers set it up, you got to stand and yell that name, and that makes it hard to get to 218 when your majority is so, so small. All right, so as we uh, kind of transition from the news and perspectives from uh, stories from the halls of Congress and the orientation and all that, um, as we get into this, um, I just want everybody to understand the gravity of what's going on here because it is a huge global event. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, strife in the world. There's a lot of conflict in the world. There is uh, a lot happening in the world. But when two teams come together, I'm telling you, those countries just shut down. 
Um, you, the United States is kind of an outlier in this. I think most every other country in the world is so totally focused on this. It happens every four years. Not everybody uh, gets to qualify, uh, but they do qualifying matches all the way up, and uh, they do what are called friendlies and nice, you know, matches out there. U.S. has struggled a little bit. They they've struggled a little bit. Um, and some of these friendlies leading up to it, but I think uh, the expectations are real high. If you've watched anything over on Fox, uh, you will see uh, John Hamm and the uh, the ads that they're doing in order to promote this. Um, and personally, I am really, really excited about this. I, you know, I, I like to say, you'll probably hear me say this a few times, I am totally comfortable, much rather watch an English Premier League game or something from the Bundesliga than uh, to actually watch an NFL game. I like football, played football, got through college kicking football. But you know what? I absolutely love soccer, and um, I want to talk some more about this. So why don't we kick things off and have a little conversation with Jenny Taft from Fox. And then uh, you can follow her over on Instagram. She's got a big social media presence. Jenny Taft, and then uh, I want to give you some other thoughts on what's uh, what's going on. So let's get Jenny Taft on the phone with us. Hello, Jenny, Jason Chaffetz. How are you? With I. I've never spoken to you in my life, but thanks for answering the phone. I mean, I feel like it's about time that we chat. I feel like I know you, so hi, and uh, yeah, call me anytime. Well, you're very nice. You're very nice. Like you've you've got a very interesting sports background. I mean, you got a family that is. I mean, some people play sports. Some some show up, and do, but your family was like all in on sports. We I really mean, were. I tell a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your mom, your dad growing up. And then I want to start talking about the World Cup and some of the stuff that's coming up. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that about my mom and dad and brother. Everyone will be very happy that you uh, noticed the athleticism from the Taft family. No, I mean, my dad was a professional hockey player and uh, he was also my coach growing up. And I always like to say, though, my mom was a speed skater. So I like to say that I got my skating from her and my brother was a college hockey player, played overseas, and I ended up marrying a retired hockey player. So it's in my blood. (laughs) I always knew I wanted to be in sports. I mean, look, I I would have loved to be a professional athlete, but at the end of the day, I was playing lacrosse in college and spent a lot of time on the bench. So my days were coming to an end and I really always wanted to be around sports. And as a sports reporter, I just get that same rush that I got playing. I mean, the live atmosphere, being around the athletes, telling the stories. I mean, I'm so lucky to have the job I have. I really love it. Well, you didn't take the easiest route. I mean, it wasn't like you were in curling or something. I mean, you, lacrosse is about as tough a sport as there is on the face of the planet. And if you're growing up in a hockey family marrying a former hockey player, I mean, do you like to hit or be hit? Well, gosh, I mean, come on. Is that even a question? <laughs> Girls hockey. And you know what's funny about hockey? People are like, oh, you don't check in hockey. It is so physical. The girls game, you can do a lot without actually checking. Uh, My husband now, thankfully, has all of his teeth. That was a big thing. He lost two playing, and he now has a full smile, and he can't avoid taking pictures with me anymore because that was the excuse before. Like, I don't have teeth. Uh, Now he has to always be in a photo with me. So, look, it is a hockey family. We, I actually have a a six-month-old right now. She is just crawling, and trust me, skates are coming soon. Oh, well, very good. Very good. Um, and now, 
One of the things that's coming up that we wanted to chat with you about, um, because you were, you covered this before, but is the World Cup. And, you know, for a lot of Americans, like I grew up playing soccer, okay? Ever since I was a little kid, California, Arizona, I, I just, I played soccer year-round. That was my sport. I transitioned and, and uh, became a place kicker uh, and for a division one football team, but nevertheless, um, I love soccer. Mm -hmm. I much rather watch an English premier league game than an NFL game. Really? So look at you. Yes. I, I love it. I dig it, but it's hard for some of my friends who didn't grow up playing soccer and maybe they played a little AYSO and kicked it around and, you know, here and there, but to understand globally how big this sport is, how the world will come to a standstill when these games start to be played. That's so true. And I, even though I love the game of soccer and I have been fortunate, I've I've covered the Women's World Cup twice now and I was in Russia for the men in 2018 and I didn't even understand the global impact of the game. And I've always liked soccer. I grew up playing. I mean, I enjoyed the game. But when you understand the fandom that is international, being at a World Cup, it takes your breath away. So for the United States to be there and look, you know this, it was a big loss when they didn't qualify yeah. in 2018. That is old embarrassing. news. It was embarrassing and it was a low point for U.S. soccer, but no one's shying away from that. This is a young hungry team and i know they most recently had these friendlies that weren't the most positive performances but no maybe didn't I'm score a, many goals. they didn't score we got to find a goal scorer so that is a thing yes. but if you look at the team as a whole the collective talent it's the most talented team so can they show up i believe they will do they have the swagger a hundred percent it was an odd combination of matches where there were no fans i was actually in spain for for that second match um against saudi arabia and look they didn't score. You mentioned it. But I just believe in who they are as a team. And I think that they can get out of the group. And I think that they should and expect to. Yeah, I mean, that you would think a, a country our size, uh, the ability to develop a program that can be, you know, highly competitive on the world stage. I mean, obviously, the Englands of the world that have such a rich tradition are going to be heavily favored. But I, and to be a little critical here, I've always been concerned about the it's the coaching side of the equation. I think we got young, talented players. I just don't know that we had the best coaching along the way. Yeah, and I'm really liking getting to know Greg Berhalter at this point. I've spent a good amount of time with him at this point. And what I can tell you, I believe the players believe in Greg and what he's doing. And we don't have to get into names of what did and didn't happen the last couple of years right. where we really were having a hard time finding that leadership. I think the players like Greg. I think they believe in Greg, and I think there is a cohesive mindset and approach to what needs to happen to be successful at the World Cup. So, yes, is Greg going to be evaluated on this World Cup? 100%. Sure. Greg Berhalter yeah. knows that. But I I just get the sense, and I'm again, I've been fortunate, fortunate enough to be around them a little bit. And in Qatar, I'm, I will be embedded with the team. So daily, I'll see them, feel the pulse, the energy. I just feel like it is a, a group that likes each other. They believe in what Greg's doing, and they are confident. These guys play overseas. Like you said, you watch them. Like There's so much talent, and uh, they will be able to put it together, in my opinion, on that big stage.
Yeah, you know, Gutter's an interesting place. I've been there. Uh, I used to serve in Congress once upon a time. <laughs> and so I was there kind of via the United States military and and the United States Navy. And um, so I got a little bit different flavor and sense of it. But certainly in the Middle East, for them hosting this World Cup, the opulence is uh, is nonstop, I, I can tell you. Um, but uh, the atmosphere is a little, it's probably going to be a little bit different. And certainly, you know, you worry about the temperature, mm-hmm. the lack of humidity or too much humidity. I mean, it depends how the winds are blowing there. Um, it's going to be fascinating, just the atmosphere. And look, every team has to deal with that. But, you know, some of the hometown teams, uh, a little closer to home, they they probably have a little easier time adapting to the to what is a very different situation than we've probably been in in the past. This is totally unique. And what I like to point out, because we are in Qatar, it's about the size of Connecticut, when you put that in mind. I mean, that's a crazy... I mean, think of Connecticut. It's tiny. So we will be driving to all of these different matches. I have horror stories for another day of traveling through Russia in 2018 because all (laughs) the flights were at 1, 2, or 3 a.m. And I'm sitting next to the fans and they had a loss and... Some people had a few too many drinks, and yeah, that was, was just say, the there flight might have been home. A little alcohol, just a little taken. bit, and just... it's crazy Russian fans. I mean, it was an odd. I mean, it's a book. Stu Holden and I have a great story of just fighting over a better seat on a plane, and I love Stu more than anyone. But we were like, I can't sit next to these fans anymore. So, point being, the fact that we're driving is a huge advantage, and I think that goes for the players as well. The time of year you mentioned it; it's unique. It's this holiday season. We know why we're doing it that way. It's the weather. It's it's yeah. all about the temperature and the conditions for the players. But while it's different in terms of their time away from their teams and they will have a quick, really week before match play begins, I, I think that they'll be able to recover quickly in that sense that all of their, their home base is their home base. And that's going to be a huge advantage. And that's just not for the USO. That's everyone. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Jenny Taft right after this. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. What uh, what do you see pluses and minuses for the team? Because, I I mean, I mentioned one of the, the obvious negatives in the, I don't know how many matches, last several matches, I think they've scored like one goal. And the ability to finish and actually um, hit the back of the net has been, it's a real criticism there. Absolutely. Well, we got well, to find a way to score goals. Okay. So we got to score goals. We're going to, we know that that is something we need to, to need to know. The positives for me are so many of these players and we know, well, you know, Christian Pulisic, we know Captain America. We, we know that name. Many know his, his name, but he hasn't had that opportunity to have a world cup moment. So we know his potential. I can't wait to see it on display. Uh, he's also grown up playing with a guy like Weston McKenney and Tyler Adams. They've known each each other and played together from Does the youth years. Yeah. I mean, that is, they are close. And a guy like Weston, I was thinking about this today, like he lived overseas in Germany because his dad was stationed overseas in the Air Force and he fell in love with the game. He met the U.S. team when they came over. He met Landon Donovan. There's a great photo of them. Like these players have looked and dreamt about this moment to be at a World Cup. And because they've been able to kind of grow up in it together, that's where I think the chemistry really does matter. And I felt it. I felt that, I felt that energy around them. So the positives, they like each other. 
I think it matters. I think all of that will go into what the performances we see on the pitch. And although they're young, they're seasoned and who they're playing against overseas. And I think that will all be so important when it comes down to it. Yeah, the continuity of just knowing each other. I think a, a lot of nations struggle because they maybe compete against each other. Then suddenly they got to be friends and on the same team, but they're just not used to the same cadence, the same rhythms, the same nod of the head to, you know, push the ball forward into open space. And if your other guy, if your buddy doesn't know that that's coming, he's not going to get the jump on the, on the other player. So I, I think that is important. One other thing I wanted to ask you about can contrast for us for a moment, Jenny, the the women's world cup and what you saw there versus the men's is there a huge difference i mean it has gained so much popularity around the world and certainly in the united states the women's game in relationship to the men's but the women's have had more success than the men have had you know I am so fortunate that I've now been a part of both of those teams. And what I will say in 2015 was my first time uh, covering the women. And and that was pretty remarkable to me because that's, Abby Wambach. Those are players I personally, as an athlete, looked up to. I mean, I tell people I was more nervous to interview Abby Wambach than Kylian Mbappe. Like, Abby Wambach, like, she was who I looked up to. So, as a reporter, that was a pretty cool moment for me. Uh, But the way the U.S. women always rise to the occasion, they are just, they have this unspoken swagger that they've just it's in their DNA they are the team to beat they know it they carry themselves that way and surprisingly for the first time those other countries are catching up. We saw they just lost against England, and that was a friendly. So we're going to take that out. They lost to Spain most recently, but they always find a way to get it done. So for the women, it's actually coming up too. Australia, New Zealand, that's this summer as well. Uh, they are the defending champs for a reason. They have that leadership and swagger. And just being around what they've done for, for, women's, for the women's game, but the fan base boys and girls. I mean, it's incredible to see just what they've done for the sport. And in terms of the men's game, I just I look at it so differently. If you look at the women from 2019, they were the average age oldest at a World Cup. And now we're looking at the youngest average age for the men's World Cup for this U.S. team. So it's they're different players in different stages of their career. But what's exciting about the men that we're about to see, they're about to be a part of this journey for years to come. Like this is a core group that I believe we will start to see develop and they will get this experience and that's going to help them as the years progress, right? So tell us about the coverage that we're going to see, lay out how it's going to be. Because like I said, a lot of people don't understand that these things happen every four years. They're, you know, sort of like the Olympics that way, but it's even bigger than that. But explain what Fox and what we're going to be able to see here at home. Well, what's so fun and the only thing that's a little hard for me, I'm going to miss some of my normal college football weekends. So for me, I'm going to have to leave early from a college football season that I love. But Fox Sports, I mean, we've always owned the fall and now it's really going to define Fox Sports. We're going to have so much football action. We're going to have soccer. So you can wake up and watch all of our matches. If you look at the group stage, uh, they're going to really be playing a lot of these games at 8, 11, and 2 p.m. Eastern. So every U.S. match will be at 2 p.m. Eastern in that group stage. So you can see all the coverage and how fun that it's the holiday season. So a lot of families will be together. They'll be able to watch together. And it's kind of a marathon, the World Cup. The group stage is a blur. 
I don't even know if I sleep in those first two weeks. It's just <laughs> madness when you're going match to match. And like I pointed out, because of the proximity of these locations, these stadiums, I'll be able to be at some other matches as well. So I'll be with the U.S., but I'm also going to be covering a lot of other important games. And um, Fox is just committed to showing everything and being that home. I want to tell stories. I'm going to be with the U.S., so I want my mom to get to know Christian Pulisic. But I also want the fan base that understands soccer and has been following his career to also get something out of what we're able to bring to the table. So I hope we can be a place for everyone to come and enjoy. And soccer unites us at a time of year that is all about that joy and holiday spirit. And it sounds a little cliche or corny, but like it's the best time of year. And now we have the World Cup. Like, it's yeah. really amazing to think about. Well, it is. And we can all get behind and root for the USA and, and shed aside some of those, you know, tumultuous po- political things. This is something that yes. if you can't unite behind supporting the USA and the World Cup, come on, then you you're, you're, will never get you there. Um, Jenny, we look forward to, to hearing and seeing you. And can I can I give you a little piece of advice? Please. Don't pick up the phone, answer calls from strangers, guys like me. Just don't do that. <laughs> All right, fair enough. You would, I would have thought you would have learned that by now. But yeah. yeah, you know, let's be careful out there, okay? Good to know. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. Appreciate it. We're going to see a lot of her this World Cup coming up. Well, I can't thank Jenny enough, and uh, you'll see her a lot. I mean, she'll be everywhere, and uh, she does know her stuff, and I really appreciate her doing this. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more right after this. All right, I can't thank uh, Jenny. She's got one of the greater gigs in sports. I mean, to go spend a month uh, hanging out there in Qatar, uh, gutter, uh, she is really going to to love that and enjoy that. And uh, things get kicked off. Now, let's go back. I want to talk a little bit about the, the schedule and how to watch and where to watch and what you can do because – this is what's really cool about this global event, okay? Things are going to kick off. You can watch on Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern on Fox. The United States is going to play Wales. Um, and uh, things kick off. The tradition is the host nation gets to play the first game. That's happening on Sunday. It's on FS Fox Sports 1, FS1. Uh, Gutter's playing uh, Ecuador, uh, 11 p.m. Eastern time. But the next day, the opportunity for us here in the United States to watch is going to be 2 p.m. Eastern on Monday, November 21st, where the United States will play Wales. Um, if the United States, you know, so many of these games end in a tie, but if the United States has a chance and opportunity to win, uh, win a game, this is one of their best shots right off the, the bat on Monday, November 22nd. What's interesting is then we'll be followed up on Friday, the 25th, 2 p.m. Eastern on Fox. You can watch the whole game. United States is playing one of the favorites to win the whole thing. They're playing England. England is a perennial challenger. Between England and Brazil, uh, odds makers think that one of those two teams uh, is going to to actually become uh, take home the World Cup. Um, and so if you want to see a really good hard-fought game that the United States is playing in, that's 2 p.m. on Friday, November 25th. If you just go over to Fox uh, Sports, you can look this up pretty easily. But then I think one of the more interesting games that's going to happen just after uh, we get done with Thanksgiving here in the United States is going to be on Tuesday, November 29th. Okay, circle that time because 2 p.m., the United States is going to play Iran. 
Iran, of all places. Now, that's been somewhat controversial. You know, should Iran even be in the World Cup? But again, sports is one of those things that kind of, you know, politics, geo, you know, all the national, international intrigue and, and countries that don't get along. The Olympics and the World Cup usually kind of blow past that. So what will be fascinating there is Iran just across literally that water. I have been out there um, in, in the – some people call it the Arabian Sea. Some call it the Persian Gulf. Um, but if you look at the map, Iran is just across. Now, when I was back in Congress – um, I actually went to Qatar or Gutter, however you want to pronounce it, and uh, went out on a ship. And I went out on the San Jacinto. The San Jacinto is a, a Navy cruiser. Uh, I spent the night out there, the sailors from all over the country, and it really was amazing. Went into Gutter, then they gave me some classified briefings. They took me out on a helicopter little bit of uh, rainy weather, take off on a helicopter, and then you land on the ship right there in the, in the, in the Gulf. You're about 14, 15 miles off the coast of Iran when you finally, as you're cruising around uh, and supporting uh, a, a, you know, part of a carrier group there, and absolutely fascinating to be so close in proximity to Iran. I mean, it was just kind of surreal, the men and women and what they did there. So when they are coming to actually play Iran uh, there in Qatar, they are literally just across that little ocean passage, which really, if you look at it on a map, and certainly if you're out there in the sea, it's not very far. But the, the tumultuous nature with uh, the other nations and their proximity to have the Iranians playing a game, I don't know how good or bad uh, that team is, but uh, given the tensions between the United States and Iran, uh, that should be a doozy of a match. And that, again, is on Tuesday, November 29th at 2 p.m. on Fox, a big Fox. Um, so you should be able to see that. There are other great games that are going along. Uh, you know, some of the favorites along the way, always uh, out of Africa. I think Ghana is always the, one of the most interesting uh, teams to be out there playing. Um, and then after you get through this initial round, then you start to go into the round of 16. The round of 16 starts on Saturday, December 3rd. That continues on. Then you get the quarterfinals, which starts the next week on a Friday, December 9th. The semifinals, December 13th. Third place matches on December 8th, 17th. And then mark your calendar because Sunday, December 18th, it's early. It's 10 a.m. in the morning, East Coast time, right? 7 a.m. out there for those of you in Los Angeles on the West Coast. And the Mountain Time Zone, obviously, 8 a.m., kind of early on a Sunday morning. That is the World Cup championship game. Um, and the world it, that is always a memorable game. The pressure that is on the players in their countries, they can be heroes, they can be, um, you know, ridiculed the rest of their life. And certainly the pressures on the referees. Always a question, whose loyalty is where? What countries are these referees from? Hopefully the referees don't become uh, an issue on this. But I do hope you get a chance to see it. Um, again, I think the pressure on the United States going into this match is can they score goals? Um 
obviously, if you're going to win games, you got to score more goals than your opponents. The, the, the problem in the last six games for the United States is them finding the back of the net. Uh, they have scared, scored very few goals. Um, defense is pretty good. Midfield's good. I, I want to have some optimism for the U.S. team, but they have not been in that traditional uh, goal-scoring uh, mode and certainly in their friendlies leading up to the game. And I think that will be the big question mark. Um, you can't just keep drawing every time. You've got to go out and actually win some games in order to prevail. But maybe this is their year. Maybe it's not. Um, other other countries have huge, huge uh, expectations out there. Um, you got Poland. You have Australia. The Netherlands. Netherlands are always strong. They're always really good at this. France, obviously... Um, have been champions in uh, more recent history. Um, there's a lot of excitement out there. Probably one of the biggest out there is going to be Brazil. Um, Brazil has got huge expectations uh, in their matches moving forward, and it will be fascinating to see uh, what Brazil does um, and how they do it. Uh, they're in a, a group in a bracket where they it's widely believed that they should prevail, that they should move to the round of 16, but we'll see what they're doing as well. Anyway, I hope you get a chance to see it. It is the world's biggest sport. Everybody else calls it football. Uh, we call it soccer for whatever reason, but um, you know what? It is a great sport, and if you you will learn – if you haven't watched already, the majesty of it, and I hope you get a chance to enjoy that. So uh, with that, Fox has put a lot of money, a lot of effort into it, and I just want to give you a little bit of a preview and talk a little bit about the expectation and where it goes. We'll be looking for for uh, Jenny, who will be out there, uh, Jenny Taft, out there uh, relaying it all back to us. But I predict um, that it will be one heck of a world spectacle, and hopefully – no other terrorism or any other thing gets in the way of it. Let's just enjoy this sport uh, for the beauty that it is. And uh, and I think you all enjoy it. So um, please be sure to stay with us next week. we got more things coming. want to remind you that you can listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I hope you're able to subscribe to it. This podcast has been a little different than our normal deep dive into the person, individual personalities. But given the global nature of this, and uh, I, I think it's very worthwhile. I uh, hope you're able to subscribe to it, rate it, join us again next week. We're going to have a a more in-depth interview with uh, somebody in the world that's making a difference. And uh, I hope you're able to join us. Look over at uh, foxnewspodcasts.com uh, if you want to see other types of podcasts that Fox puts out. But I hope you like it, rate it, review it, and join us again next week. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this has been Jason in the House. chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.